Welcome to Thriller Premium. Welcome to Thriller Premium. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another exciting episode of Thriller Coin Talk. Today is February 16th, 2020, and we are talking the inevitability of Bitcoin. Yeah, it's uh, it's looking pretty bullish right now. <laughs> Even though we've fallen, it's looking pretty bullish. And one of the main reasons for this is the quant investors, or I should say they're more like funds, right? Really, really smart people out there making investment decisions based on the use of advanced quantitative analysis. Yeah. They manage and utilize algorithms and custom-built computer models to pick their investments. Funny enough, (laughs) I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I feel comfortable saying this because talking to y'all, my subscribers, but funny enough, um, I actually manage uh, a a company uh, network that does some of this stuff. uh, I don't have any <laughs> inside information or anything like that, nor would I be able to share it. But I will say, though, that uh, some of the resources that they use and some of the uh, different SQL servers that we have to spin up for them. Uh, how do I say this without giving away too much? Let's just say that when we ever have to spin up something for them, uh, as far as like VMs or anything, it's usually uh, on the uh, heavy resource side. So not only do these managers you know, utilize these custom-built computer models, but they also have uh, given rise to this uh, kind of popularity of just regular macro trend and quantitative analysis. And this has kind of risen over the past couple of years. This is this is why I feel like everybody in the Bitcoin game that <laughs> has been around for a long time has kind of stepped up their game a little bit. And if they haven't, it's like, what are you doing? You have even more resources now from all these quant funds the, that you didn't have before. And we'll put all the show, all the stuff in the show notes. Make sure to check that out. All the links will be there too. Just click on the pictures. But if you don't know what a quant fund is, let me tell you how it works. So how it works is a quantitative fund relies on algorithmic and systematically programmed investment strategies. So these are this these are uh, algorithms that are pre-built uh, either through some kind of macro or, or some type of uh, script. But these quantitative funds can be one of the many investments uh, offerings supported by a large asset manager. And when we're talking about large asset managers, we're talking about like uh, Fidelity or we're talking about like Vanguard, stuff like that. However, it can also be the central management focus of a specialized investment manager as well. But quant fund offerings have been growing, especially in the Bitcoin space, right? And if you look back to 2017, it, it, it was responsible for a quarter of all U.S. stock trades. And so what do you think that's doing to Bitcoin now? Especially now that we have a futures contract, now we have uh, the CFTC kind of in its purview, kind of, you know, I wouldn't say managing Bitcoin, but kind of uh, regulating Bitcoin in the space, right? 
This is all because we were able to solidify Bitcoin as a as a as a real uh, digital gold per se, right? And a lot of people in this space have added to that. There's been uh, Safdine, who's also been one of the key. Uh, people out there with his Austrian economics <laughs> degree uh, or doctorate that has been able to explain this in his book, The Bitcoin Standard. Then you have other people like this uh, anonymous person named Plan B that's talked to that's talked about stock to flow, and we've covered stock to flow in the past. Maybe we didn't go too in depth, but we're going to go a little in depth today because the stock to flow model treats Bitcoin as being com- comparable or comparable to commodities such as gold, silver, or platinum. Now, these are known as store value commodities, all managed by and regulated by the CFTC because they retain value over long time frames due to their relative scarcity. But it is difficult to significantly increase their supply, just like we're trying to search for gold on an asteroid or something, right? Uh, it's expensive. It takes a lot of time. And um, so, therefore, gold has value. But Bitcoin is similar because it is also scarce. But you can't go on an asteroid and find more Bitcoin. That's not how it works. This was all built into the protocol. But there are a limited number of coins that will ever, ever exist in Bitcoin. And it will take a lot of electricity and computing power to mine the 3 million outstanding coins still to be mined. Therefore, the supply rate is consistently low. So when Plan B looked at the stock-to-flow ratios and evaluated the current stock of Bitcoin, right, because it's a commodity, and he took that against the flow of new production, which is built into the protocol that Satoshi, I don't know, I feel like he knew, right? This guy must have been, either this team or this person, he must have been some type of individual to know all these different facets of not only technology, but we're talking about financial, just everything, and we've talked about in the past, but just everything like that, right? Um, So when we look at commodities like gold, platinum, or silver, or high ratio, all these indicate that they are mostly not consumed in an industrial application, instead of the majority is stored as a monetary hedge, thus driving up the stock-to-flow ratio, kind of like Honolulu and the real world, right? (laughs) That's all all gold really is. But we are talking about, Bitcoin and the inevitability of it. What does that mean? Well, that means that you have these quant funds, these these investment managers that are really looking at Bitcoin as a driving force for a lot of um, just change in the world here in the next decade. And uh, it's one of the things that we touched on uh, earlier in the year when we talked about 2020 and what that was going to look like for the rest of the year. Bitcoin is going to consume a lot of things. And a vast majority of people are either going to miss the boat entirely or they're going to have to get in and buy the few remaining Satoshis that are available. And um, there's a particular firm that's out there that have been just killing it with information lately. And kind of the the, the, the people that spur this podcast and creating was uh, Baron LB. And I'll put a, a link and a video in the show notes you can check out. It's a really long 45-minute explanation on why Bitcoin metrics is a driving force for Bitcoin and why it's going to lead to inevitable um, deterioration of other marketable uh, assets that are out there, especially in the commodities uh, space. But I'll let you listen to Manuel talk about that. People were just throwing random variables into the equations without uh, having any foundations, any theoretical foundations beforehand. So then this whole quantitative approach was a bit put on ice and uh, the focus was more on the qualitative analysis of Bitcoin. So mainly by the Austrian economists who went back basically to the work of Mises and Rothbard and they were looking from those perspectives and they were looking for the insights that those um, thinkers had 
regarding what makes um, a good form of money. Because after all, Bitcoin is a, a money candidate. Uh, and this whole approach, this more qualitative approach from the Austrians culminated in the book of Seyfedin Amus, our very good friend who already gave two talks here um, at the bank. Uh, and the book is called uh, The Bitcoin Standard. And um, I mean, he, he wrote about a lot of stuff there. But um, one thing uh, was very important that he identified uh, hardness as one of the major uh, driver or the major features that a good form of money should have. And what he also did, um, he introduced the stock to flow uh, approach to Bitcoin. Um, so this is originally coming from mainly the commodities analysis, so the gold analysis. Um, and he introduced this in his uh, book, especially to compare gold uh, with Bitcoin and other uh, forms of money like euro and dollar. So um, just to, to recap a bit, why is um, stock to flow a good measure uh, for hardness, um, you can have uh, different uh, approaches there. I mean, one way of uh, looking at it to say, okay, if you have a very high stock, a very huge amount already outstanding of a certain asset and only little amounts are coming each additional year, for example, onto the market, you have a very um, resistant, a very robust asset against inflation, uh, against supply shocks. So it's very difficult to inflate or dilute this, um, this asset. You can also think about the fact that if you have a very high stock to flow ratio that it takes a lot of time to reproduce the current, um, the current amount outstanding. Um, and obviously this only works if it's very hard to uh, produce new units of this uh, certain asset. And what happened then is that the anonymous um, investment manager plan B took this um, stock-to-flow approach um, and published an article in March this year. Um, and he used the stock-to-flow approach as um, a quantifiable variable for hardness. And um, so what he was actually doing, in my view at least, is um, he was testing a hypothesis. And the hypothesis was um, hardness is the major or the predominant driver for the valuation of Bitcoin. And this is why, um, and this is the first reason, why I say this is uh, like a very crucial year or even the founding year of what I call Bitcoinometrics, uh, because you had this two-step approach now. So he had first theoretical, a theoretical foundation, mainly coming from the Austrians, and then you had um, guys with a strong statistic background testing, in case, this certain hypothesis. And what also happened, and this was very interesting, and it also reached us at some point, was that the publication sparked the interest of other uh, quantitative-oriented uh, researchers. Um, so this was not only Plan B, who was uh, working on this model, and we will look later uh, in, in greater detail at the model, but uh, very soon other uh, quants and other statisticians um, jumped onto this uh, wagon and refined and criticized um, this whole uh, approach. So there was uh, extensive robustness checks going on, completely different to what we had here. Um, so this was the second ingredient why I say there was um, this uh, founding year of um, Bitcoinometrics. And in the end we ended up, and we will see later why it's such a robust model, uh, in the end we, we had the first robust valuation model for Bitcoin. Before we get into the model, um, I wanted to point out two 
um, specific statistical features um, when it comes to Bitcoin. The first one is you have a very extensive uh, data availability. Um, you actually have in the end an open database. So the Bitcoin blockchain is something like an open database and that is updated every 10 minutes. So you have um, more or less real-time data on when it comes, for example, to the stock to flow data on this data. And uh, you also have other data like addresses that we will use later as well. And if you compare this, for example, and I came across this during our study, uh, if you compare this, for example, to gold, it's very hard to get uh, exact data on the stock to flow um, data of gold. So the best you can hope for is annual data, for example, for the flow. And uh, also for the stock, it's very difficult to get an exact number. Basically, there is no exact number. Every gold analyst, so if you ask 10 gold analysts, they will probably tell you 10 different answers to this question. If you ask 10 Bitcoin, you only get one answer. And um, this was really interesting. And this also enabled um, high frequency testing. So you, had, you also have the uh, possibility, for example, if you go uh, to coinmetrics.io, uh, you can get day, uh, daily data as well. So you could even uh, use intraday data if you, if you want to. And this is something very special, especially if you compare it, for example, to gold or um, uh, other markets, other commodity markets. Um, and the other thing is a bit more technical, but it's a very interesting and very important uh, concept that we have to understand later. And actually, we'll also test uh, this, um, uh, this concept later. So there is something called the difficulty uh, adjustment in Bitcoin and it ensures that the supply growth path that was more or less predetermined or set in stone by Satoshi uh, is, um, is ensured and can't be manipulated or can't be changed through price uh, movements. So what basically happens if you uh, have a price increase in Bitcoin, um, it's obviously more attractive to mine uh, to produce more of Bitcoin. Um, but um, through this difficulty adjustment, you have an um, uh, adjustment of the difficulty, this case upwards, so it gets more difficult to get new Bitcoins or to mine uh, new Bitcoins. Uh, and you have the same uh, in the other direction. So if the price decreases, it's less attractive uh, to mine Bitcoin. It's uh, getting easier to, um, to mine uh, Bitcoin. And this is very important because this means that the market value or the price of Bitcoin doesn't have any feedback mechanism on the stock to flow because stock to flow will be our regressor, our explanatory variable. And usually what you have with econometric uh, phenomenon, you always have a feedback mechanism. So it's very rare that you have such an, the statisticians call it exogenous regressor that is not, um, uh, that is not influenced by the, the, uh, the dependent variable, so the variable that we want to uh, explain. Another feature is obviously, this will um, discuss in the very end, that we already know future values of the stock to flow, which is also pretty handy obviously, but usually you don't have future values for the, your explanatory variable. So this was basically more or less what Plan B published in the beginning. And then happened what I uh, described in the, in the beginning. This sparked um, directly the, the interest of many other uh, quants. Because a lot of people were saying in the beginning, okay, this is all fine and good, but this is just a spurious regression. So the question is, what is a spurious regression? In time series, this is like the, the nightmare for every uh, analyst. 
because it means that you think you have found something when indeed you haven't found anything. And um, this is kind of a problem. What happens with um, time series if they look like this, so they're not stationary, they're not like this, and we will see later a stationary variable as well, but they're trending upwards. And what can happen is that if you use your standard regression analysis with these type of um, series, that you capture a trend uh, of both variables, but they are not really connected. And this was the first critique that um, Plan B received, and a lot of people also directly uh, delivered the answer. They, on, they didn't only criticize, but they came up with um, the solution as well. Yeah, so he kind of started this whole movement uh, in what you would call Bitcoin metrics, right? And um, and that's what really 2019 and late 2018 was about, was building out these, these tools for these uh, quant funds. And a lot of this stuff is probably you know, well above all of ours, you know, expertise, right? But it's still good to go out there and try to grasp it, try to understand it. And with time, we will get to a great understanding of how all that uh, statistical models work and, and can fail sometimes, right? In predicting uh, the future. But I think when we look at the short term, what this looks like for this year's happening, this is when stock-to-flow model will, will really come into play. I mean, this will serve as a great use case to see if these quant funds and these these analysts really know what they're talking about, especially when it comes to just understanding how Bitcoin behaves, you know, just as an ultra-hard type of money. But I think by 2022, 2023, and even 2024, when the next happening takes place after this year, we will get to a degree of hardness where it'll increase so much to an unprecedented level that um, nobody will know why the stock to flow ratio uh, exceeds a hundred, which has never been uh, seen in human history. Like people, people will, will like uh, will, will will flip out, <laughs> right? Um, because this is something that has never been, you know seen or done before in human history right so but nobody knows what the repercussions of such a monetary standard uh what it would have right we can only guess or estimate and um and it gets a lot of people wondering like did um did bitcoin i mean did satoshi know like was it conceived because he knew this is what was going to happen was it inevitable was it inevitable and, and was it built into the protocol because he knew how this was going to play out like it gets you wondering like what this person was thinking or people were thinking uh, a long time ago when they came up with this, right? Um, but I mean, we, we all don't know. We could, the only thing we know for sure is that it is uh, indeed become the money of the 21st century. That is for certain, right? Bitcoin is uh, built on something that uh, can't be, you know, commingled. It can't be hacked. I mean, it could be hacked, but... The amount of hashing power it would require would just be at this time just too much, and um, because of these properties, right? There's an, an extra degree of hardness to it, and something that fiat can't can't give us, and, and it's something that being on this open monetary system that Bitcoin has enabled for everybody in the world, um, it's it's inevitable, and it's it's become inevitable, and it's been kind of become one of this. Um, things that we just never could have foreseen that would have happened. 
And uh, I think in the future, I think when we look at what this looks like in five years, maybe even 2025, and that's not even that far away, five years away from now, I can't believe it's already going to be the end of March or the end of February right now, right? And we're already kind of <laughs> kind of zipped through this year and so much has happened this year. But I think when we, when we kind of see what this looks like in five years, like I know what it looked like five years ago and we were at $200, $250 per coin. And to see it at, at, at just above, you know, 9K today, that's crazy. Like you, that's, that's nuts. And that was only five years ago. Like, what does it look like from five years from now? Is that somewhere in the, you know, 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 per coin? Maybe, maybe, right? And then five years from that in 2030, what does that look like? Is that a million, two million, three million per coin? Maybe. And, and this is not Bitcoin's fault, right? Uh, we can't, we don't know how much um, fiat currency is going to get printed tomorrow for these repo markets, right? We don't know how devalued the dollar is going to get in the next five to 10 years. Um, so it's not, it's, I wouldn't say it's Bitcoin's fault. It's just the inevitable outcome of when you have a uh, printing scheme built into our economy worldwide and everybody's kind of building on this, um, this pyramid scheme that is the US dollar. And it's just, uh, it's not right. And Bitcoin is coming for it. And, uh, and before you know it, it becomes an inevitable outcome. So at the very least, buy your, your kids some Bitcoin, hold it for 10 years, and um, maybe you can send them off to college because those little Satoshis could be worth, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars by then. Okay, with that, let's get into, that's right, Coin Talk, starting now. It is time. It's time for Coin Talk, but before we dive into that, we got some got some interesting news to talk about. So, we got a couple of things we're we're shutting down. What? What are you talking about, Car? Well, I think for the longest time, I, I wanted to make uh, ThrillerCrypto.com was like this minimalist news site, but I realized that uh, it it wasn't uh, it was meeting the needs of everything for this podcast. But now I feel like when that was made in 2017, I think early 2017, now we're in 2020. I feel like when we made that 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 website, it was it was made just for gathering news for the show and it was needed because there was it was really bad back then to get like really good crypto bitcoin news. But now I feel like we have some really good um, websites like the block and decrypt and uh, other ones that have come on board brave new coin like th these are these are some interesting crypto websites where now I can actually pull from really good resources trusted nodes is another one and and so I think what we're doing now we're gonna shut down our our news website because it's just not it's not needed. The good news is everything's moving over to thrillerx.com. Uh, Thriller Crypto will forward to ThrillerX going forward, but um, everything there will be there. And, and I, I'm even going to start doing my own blog post now. Uh, I've already started uh, doing it on thrillerx.com. So if there's ever 
you know, if you're ever bored one day at work or wherever you're at and you want to read something, go to thrillerx.com. I'll give you my little clue in. Earlier this week, I, I wrote a lot of blog posts about uh, stock to flow ratio and about the barren stuff that we heard earlier in the podcast. So most of the stuff that I'll be I'll be talking about on thrillerx.com will be really uh kind of correlated with what we talk about here on the show. It's kind of stuff that I'm keeping an eye on during the week. It's, it's more like me. I'm putting these uh, these blog posts in, in during the week for me to kind of, you know, have as a bookmark for what I'm going to be talking about during the podcast. Um, so if you guys are more interested in finding out what I'm looking at, what I'm browsing on the internet, go to thrillerice.com and all the blog posts are there. And it's I, I even dialed down that website even more now. Now it's just podcasts anthoverx.com and then our subscription and that's it i'm trying to i'm trying to get very minimalist when it comes to how much stuff i'm actually producing just because these days i'm finding it even harder and harder uh, to to find time to do any of this stuff it's just uh it's unrelenting my job uh, <laughs> my eight to five because uh yeah, rolling out networks this week was tough. There's some nights I didn't get home till like midnight. And uh, as much as I wanted to talk about crypto and Bitcoin, uh, sleep had to happen. Um, so, um, yeah, hopefully that will wind down as uh, March comes around because I'm looking forward to South by and covering that for you guys. And look for some exclusive stuff to come during uh, during that week, uh, but more to come on that later. Um, and I think that's that's all we got. Yeah, that's all we got. Oh, we have to do one more thing, and that's talk about the disclaimer. That's right. So if you don't know, we have the disclaimer, but it's put in place for stuff. And I feel like these days, especially I would say in the past couple months, we've been very much on target on a lot of things that uh, we might start seeing some pushback, right? You never know. You never know who could be subscribed to the show and could be saying, we got you, Car. finally. There's no disclaimer. You did it. You, you forgot to put it in there. Nope. We have it right here. Roll the disclaimer. Remember, the Yeah, and then even at the new thrillerx.com, um, I got a moon man floating. <laughs> you have to check it out. It's really cool. Uh, he's just like floating right above the logo. Uh, it looks pretty cool. Anyway, <laughs> today we are talking Bitcoin and the rest of the coin market cap. That's right. It's coin talk. My favorite part of the day, your favorite part of the day as well. I'm going to try to clue you in on what's going on in the markets this week. And um, hopefully you're not scared. We're at 97 98 for Bitcoin. What does that mean? Well, it means exactly what it says. And that's because this is not something that you guys were afraid of. Most of you should have known this was going to come. You should have said, oh, crap, this is that fake out car was talking about earlier last month or late last month when he when he released uh Bitcoin in February, and he was telling us there was going to be a fake out. This is probably the fake out that he's talking about, right? I mean, seriously, what, what, what is it? Is is this it? it? It was was Cart trying to allude to something earlier in the week. I mean, everybody else out there, like like Tone Phase, is telling us it's going to six k. I don't, I don't, 
I'm not sure what what to believe out there. There's there's too many people um, saying things that I don't know. There's nothing really out there that shows why it should have sold off. I mean, what do I what do I do? <laughs> I just I just want to haunt him through the having and maybe make you know 5K. Okay, breathe. <laughs> breathe, breathe, and breathe. It'll be fine. Trust me, it'll be fine. We're going to be okay, right? I mean, we, we were talking about this in Thriller Insights, and one of the things that uh, really kind of struck a chord with myself was, you know, when we said, bring on 8,600. <laughs> I mean, make no mistake, we're going to fall to 9,300. That's going to happen. I mean, it's happening now. Uh, we're at 97. It's gonna fall to ninety three. Tomorrow when we wake up, it'll probably be ninety one. Who knows? If 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 it falls below ninety three hundred and we 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 end up getting below that, we're gonna retest eighty six hundred, and then from there, you I mean eighty two, and then it goes down even further, seventy eight. But these things are very um, solidified levels. Like these are these are levels that we've already captured in the past. So if we go next to ninety three and that's where we stay at for the rest of the week, and then maybe we go a little up, we go a little down. Eventually, once we solidify 10K, which will probably happen, I would say 80% certain it's going to happen after the happening. Well, 88% certain it's going to happen after the happening. I highly doubt we'll, I guess, I would, I'd highly doubt if we solidify 10K before the happening and never fell back down below 10K. I'd be very shocked. Uh, I don't foresee that happening, though. Uh, I definitely think even if we do get, you know, to 18 or 17K or, you know, to 19K or even say 20K. Uh, before the happening and we see that major pump right and then i i'd find it really hard to believe that we don't get below 10k again um i'd be i'd be very shocked but <laughs> with all that being said i don't think we're gonna hit those marks i, I will say though that even if we do get to 9300 and then we go sideways for a little bit just as long as we're past you know 10k heading into march we're gonna have a parabolic march march is gonna be something that we haven't seen in a year, in over a year. Um, and then April, well, it just kind of depends. It depends if we peak and pop in March. If we peak and pop in March, then we're definitely, we definitely have a good possibility of peaking and popping in April. Uh, but there's no way that we're going to peak and pop in April if we peak and pop. If, if, if we don't peak and pop in March and we don't, and, and we just peak and pop in April, then it's going to be an even bigger, you know, pop and bigger peak. But if we peak and pop in March, I think we'll have another peak and pop in April as well, too. I just know by mid-April, you want to be out of Bitcoin. <laughs> that's me personally. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm getting out of Bitcoin uh, mid-April. I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to move, not giving up on Bitcoin. I'm just, you know, let's say I would say 60 percent of my holdings will get moved over to like USDC or something. And then at that point, it's just buying back in when it gets to $7,800 again, probably like in June. And that's when I'll buy back in into Bitcoin and use all those profits to buy even more Bitcoin and then starts the next major bull run uh, leading into 2021. So that's kind of my plan for Bitcoin. It's kind of been my plan this entire time. I'd be very shocked if it doesn't play out that way. As time comes forward, we'll see more and just pay attention to our, our subscription podcast as we, as we release them. As soon, as soon as we get more information, we'll talk about it. But 
I think it's pretty safe bet that that's, that's likely to happen here in the short term. 9,300, 8,600 possibility. Uh, and then at that point, 10K into March, run up to 14K, a sell back down to 11, a run up again to 14 or maybe in 15, and then a fall after into the happening. I think it's pretty easy like that. One, two, three. I'd be very shocked if it's like we never like if we just go 90, 90, 93 this week and then 86 and then we just never get back above 10K. You know, like some people are saying, that'd, be, that'd just be really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> especially with like Starbucks supposed to be releasing uh, Bitcoin later this year uh, with Bact and that whole partnership that's supposed to happen at some point. Uh, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I think the only thing that uh, that would shock, I mean, that would shock me, but the only thing that would really shock me would be us holding, holding our position above 10K through the happening and then never falling below 10K after the happening. Like that would, that would absolutely shock me to the core. <laughs> I'd be like, wow, Bitcoin's that strong? Are you kidding me? That would really shock me, but I, I really doubt that happening. We'll see. Um, as, we get, as we get closer, we'll, we'll know more. I want to see where that peak and pop is at. If that peak and pop is at 14K, then I think we're good. Like, I really do. Like, I think if we're peak and pop at 14K before the happening and then after the happening, it, it, you know, it falls back down to 11 and then hangs out there for a little while and then it falls back down underneath 10K. Like, that's great. But if it peaks and pops it at like 18 or 17, you know, before the happening, and then it pe- and then it peaks and pops again, like at 16, and then it peaks and then it falls, and then it peaks and pops like at 13 or whatever it is, and then it just stays above like between 10 and 11 and somewhere around there, I'd be very shocked, and it just never goes back below that ever. Um, that'd be really surprising to me. But I think we've tested 10k so many times that at this point. Um, you know, it would be shocking, but at the same time, it would be, well, I guess that's the way it is. <laughs> so that's why it's very important to make sure to sell at the peak. Uh, so that way, even if you're due buying in back at 10K, you're at least still, you're still up, right? Okay. Now there's other coins besides Bitcoin car, and they need your attention too. Well, uh, some of those are, uh, we look at Ethereum and we can see that that's at $253. We have XRP at 28 cents. Bitcoin Cash at $406, you got Bitcoin SV at $279, you got Litecoin at $72, and EOS at $4.30, uh, Binance Coin at $23, and Tezos at $3.07, and Chainlink at $4.49, 4%. I think if you ask me, I think for the most part, uh, most of this stuff is it's not a good buy right now, and it's not a good buy on, on several reasons. <laughs> most notably, Bitcoin and the happening come up, but uh, also... A lot of these altcoins or other cryptocurrencies, you're going to be able to buy those at a really bottom barrel price here after, I would say, I would say, I would say in between June, between mid-June and through July, August, right? September probably being the latest. And most of these will probably be significantly lower than they are now. I think if you look at, let's take, for example, uh, XRP. It's at 28 cents. Let's say into the peak and pop of Bitcoin at the top of the happening, uh, at the top of the pre-happening. Let's say we go 14k Bitcoin, right? You might see XRP at that price, probably around 40 cents, 45 cents, 50 cents, somewhere around there, right? People will be flipping out, right? At that point, uh, I think after that point, we're at 20 cents now, 28 cents now. I think after that point, you're going to see a lot large sell-off. I think we'll probably see XRP at 15 cents, 18 cents again, 20 cents around there. And then, yeah, you'll be able to buy back in 
um, lower than it is now at 28 cents. Same thing goes for something like Litecoin. Maybe at the Bitcoin, you know, pre-pre uh, happening peak, it probably hits you know 130 dollars somewhere around there, 150 dollars, and then after the happening, it's at 72 dollars right now. Maybe it goes back down to 50 bucks somewhere around there, 45. It's really solidified at that at that resistance level. So you, this is what I'm saying. There's a lot of these right now. Like Tezos is one of them. Like it, to me, three dollars for Tezos just sounds absurd um, because it was literally 40 cents last year around the same time or actually earlier in the year, probably January of last year was at 40 cents. So it's to me, it sounds really absurd seen at $3, but I think into the happening pre, uh, pre-pump uh, peak will pro- a Bitcoin price, we'll probably see it at uh, maybe close to $375, $4, maybe $5. And then afterwards, we probably would see it drop, drop back down to $1.45, somewhere around there. Um, and then at that point, I think buying it after the halving makes more sense for a lot of reasons. But the main reason is because at that point, you're buying at the bottom of a bear or you're buying at the bottom price at the start of a bull market. So once once we get past the initial kind of fall of Bitcoin price after the halving, and let's say that tick starts right around August or September or somewhere around there. As we get closer, we'll know more data. But let's just say, hypothetically, Bitcoin falls down to 7,800. And then right around August, it's when it starts rising again, you know, considerably, right? And it gets up to 10K. I think once we start seeing, um, once we start seeing these alts uh, start taking notice again, we'll start seeing those rise. And then those will well, at that point, we'll be taking steps. We'll be taking large steps where it'll never fall back down to what it was, where it was at the start of the, of the bull run. So, for example, if we look at Ethereum at the start of the last major bull run, you had Ethereum priced at around, gosh, I want to say like twenty bucks or something. At a certain point, it it, it got to a point to where once it hit fourteen hundred dollars. It was never falling back down lower than the price it was before. I think the only thing that might hold through this kind of halving is probably Ethereum. I'd be very shocked to see Ethereum fall below $200 post halving of Bitcoin. But just because of proof of stake uh, switch and because of DeFi and because of CFTC and futures and all that stuff, I mean, it'd be very, I'd be very surprised if it fell back down to $80 for Ethereum. Very surprised. Could it happen? Of course. I'd be very shocked um, if it falls below $180 or something like that. Um, so what I'm saying is for most of these coins right now, I would not even think twice about buying them until after the happening. Right now, the only thing that makes sense is Bitcoin at this price range, especially $9,700. This might be the last single time you'll be able to buy a Bitcoin um, pre-happening peak uh, and still make a considerable amount of money. I mean, preferably you should have bought it at 78 or last year at 38. Like, but right now is still pretty pretty prime for me. Especially if we're gonna, we know we're gonna hit 14k or 13k. Like buying at 9k, selling at 14k, pretty easy profit there, right? For at least for me, that is a nice profit. Um, and then also just be aware of that. Um, Post post happening, a lot of these are going to fall, and people will get scared and think like, "Oh, this is what happened. We're supposed to see a major run," and then all of a sudden, September comes around, October, and then it's just like room. It's just like just just parabolic, right into into the holidays, and people are like, "How? No one saw this coming." And be like, "No, 
everybody saw this coming. It's just that no one is informing you how this was going to play out. So that's how it's going to play out. Okay. And I think that's all I got for coin talk. I really, I really don't think it's necessary to go through all these coins because I think a lot of them are overvalued right now and they're not ready uh, at all. Uh, I mean, something like Cardano, we've given a lot of time for them to really roll this shit out. And at this point it's 2020 and we're still talking about a test net, right? I mean, I love Charles. I think he's great, but <laughs> come on, what are we doing here? Okay. With that, let's get into the end of the show. Jump another third coin talk is Dunsies. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for subscribing. Every once in a while, feel free to share these newsletters. I feel like, you know, um, we've done so much work this past year when creating these that um, it's good to share them every once in a while, especially if they provide insight to some of your, for some of your friends or family, um, especially when it comes to Bitcoin. 
I just want to say thrillerx.com. Make sure to check out the new website. Let me know what you think. Shoot me a telegram message or find us on social media. With that, bye Bitcoin. See you on the road. See you next time. This is the end of the show. You have been listening to Thriller Podcast with R. Gonzalez. Remember, Thriller Podcast is not financial advice. Everything Carr said likely won't come true. It is up to you. Now go, do your own research. Listen to other dudes that start their name with crypto, and not Carr. And remember, buy Bitcoin and save the world. One Satoshi at a time.